Hey folks, before we get to the interview today, I want to take a moment to talk to you about your meat. Yep, your meat. As many of you craft beer lovers already know, it's better to buy independence. Do you know who's making your meat and where your meat's coming from? Stith Family Farms has been serving as your personal farmer since 1945, and that's right after World War II ended. The third generation of these Kentucky farmers don't use any hormones or antibiotics. In fact, Stith Family Farms raise all the feed themselves, including non-GMO corn. And with plenty of acreage, they provide their hogs with seven times the available space as commercial hog operations, therefore generating zero liquid hog waste. And guess what? Stith Family Farms is now shipping to 23 states, bringing beef and pork straight to your door wherever you are. And if you're in Kentucky like me, see if you're in a county where they hand deliver. And let me recommend the Stith Family Farms Shipping Basket, a collection of some of their most popular products. It contains ground beef, mild sage sausage, a rump roast, cheddar brats, hamburger patties, barbecue pork burgers, all beef hot dogs, boneless ribeye steaks, and even New York strip steaks. And you know, after having the cheddar brats last night, I was already thinking of when my next meal is. So if you're craving some farm-to-table products, head on over to www.stithfamilyfarms.com. Happy to be joined now via phone, the governor of Colorado, John Hickenlooper. Governor, thank you so much for taking some time out of your morning and uh, and talking to me a little bit about beer. Always a pleasure to talk about beer. So you're the, the governor of Colorado. Previous to that, you were the mayor of Denver. Before that, you were a, uh, a brewery owner. It was Wincoop Brewery there in, in Denver. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about that, of how you kind of got into that business to begin with, because you were previously a, a geologist, I guess, right? Yeah, I, I came out to Colorado originally as a geologist. Uh, originally in '78, then I moved out permanently in '81. What was that transition like, going from kind of like the oil industry to to beer? Well, that, I mean, basically, I was going from one liquid to another, uh, and they both have uh, gas in 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 a liquid form. So in beer, it's carbonation, and in gas, in uh, oil, it's natural gas, <laughs> methane. <laughs> um, Anyway, I got the price of oil had collapsed in the early 1980s. There was a long recession throughout the 80s, uh, and you know more than 25,000 geologists got laid off, and there were no jobs. So my brother uh, showed me. I was out helping him fix his roof in Berkeley, California, and he showed me Triple Rock, which had just opened. This was in the the fall of 1986. Uh, and I came back to Colorado and I kept telling all my friends about how cool it was and how I'd dr- I would drive a half an hour out of my way to be able to have a beer that wasn't quite so fizzy and mm. had real body, real flavor. Uh, and as, as time went on, a couple of friends kind of started working on the idea, but they really weren't business. They weren't, it's, it was weird. You know, I was a geologist. What did I know about business? But I had an aptitude for it. Uh, and we went down to the library and got out a book on how to write a business plan. I mean, we didn't, none of us knew what a, we didn't know what the word pro forma meant. That's how backward we were. Um, but, but in, you know, in, in 1987, I started working on it pretty much full time. Uh, and then we finally got it open in 19, I mean, it took two years, uh, to raise all the money. Uh, and we were just trying to raise 400 grand. So it wasn't like a huge amount. We had a $125,000 loan from the city, uh, kind of an economic development loan from Denver. And then we had a $50,000 loan uh, from one of the local banks. But, I mean, we had to put up our houses as collateral. I mean, it was ridiculous. But anyway, uh, that that process of raising money allowed us to really talk to a lot of people. Uh, we got a lot of no's. I, I handed out over 200 
copies of our business plan. Uh, my own mother, my own mother wouldn't invest. Um, but we finally got open on October 18th of 1988, a day that will live forever in my fond memories. That that's great. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was the first craft brewery in Denver post prohibition, right? Yeah, it was the first uh, craft brewery pro- post prohibition in Denver. Uh, there was. Boulder Brewing Company had opened a few years before. They were a, they they weren't a brew pub. They were a, a microbrewery. Uh, I think we were one of the first dozen uh, brew pubs in the country. Hmm. And at that time, you know, there were less than a hundred breweries in the in the whole country at that point. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But other than the the, the financial aspects, and I guess just the getting to know how to open up a, a, a business, what other initial struggles did you all face when you were opening Wincoop? Well, we had so little money. I mean, we were really trying to do it on a shoestring. So we we took an old warehouse down at the corner of 18th and Winecoop, what's now called Lodo, lower downtown. And, and that the warehouse district was so abandoned that the rent was $1 per square foot per year. I mean, it was almost mm-hmm. free. And even with that, or partly because of that, we, ought, we were able to attract you know, we finally did raise four hundred thousand dollars, and we had uh, one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars from a bank, and fifty thousand or fifty thousand from a bank, one hundred twenty-five thousand from the city. But think about it, that was three hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. With that, we bought a whole new brewery, which cost about one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. We bought all of our kitchen equipment, furniture, chairs, everything uh, from auctions. So we ended up having to fix a lot of it ourselves. Uh, my brother is a carpenter. He came out from Berkeley and uh, spent the last six weeks working seven hours a day to build all the tables and the booths and the back bar, the bar top. Uh, I mean, we did everything we could ourselves, and and we <laughs> partly because of that we ended up opening about eight months late. <laughs> <laughs> so so we talked a little bit uh, a second ago about how how few breweries there were at the time when you first opened, uh, and then you know fast forward uh, twenty. 30 years later, the Colorado beer scene has exploded. Uh, Denver, of course, as well. What factors, specifically for Colorado, what made beer so popular? And why did everybody just decide to open up a brewery there? What was like? Well, everybody has their own theories about why Colorado kind of became this beer heaven. I think one part of it, and, and people don't often say this, but I think it was a big part. Uh, I think the fact that we had four seasons. Right, so we have a cold winter with snow, so that you want a richer, you know, a stout, a porter, darker, richer beers. But then we also get pretty hot in the summer; it gets up in the 90s. So, uh, you know, a lighter pilsner or a wheat beer, but but again, a craft beer that's got some body and flavor to it. Uh, you know, you you have more more uh, motivation to want a broader array of of beer styles in your in your regular rotation, and I think. It took a long, much longer time, and even today, you don't see anywhere near as many craft breweries or brew pubs in the South as you do in the North. So I think that was part of it. Uh, the other part was, you know, Colorado's always been a place where young people come out for a few years, uh, and they'll work as ski bums, or they'll, you know, they'll try to make a living as a musician. I mean, there's just a, a very vibrant culture of, of young people here. And that was true even back in the 90s. Um, I mean, nothing like it right now. It's exploded. We've got young people everywhere. You can't walk through Lodo without bumping into a millennial. Uh, but anyway, that I think that uh, we had a lot of, of, of 
you know, just a lot of energy around the city. And then certainly in the 2000 to 2015, well, let's say from the last two decades, from 2000, uh, 1998 till 2018, something like that, we had just an explosion of bike trails. There are now over a thousand miles of bike trails in Metro Denver. Uh, we've had an explosion of music. There are more live music venues now in metropolitan Denver than there are in metropolitan Austin or metropolitan Nashville. And then last, the, you know, the, uh, the, the brew pub explosion has just, I mean, we're now, we're approaching 400 craft breweries in the state of Colorado and there are only five and a half million people here. Right. So on a per capita basis, we're right, right close to the top of any state in the country. But I'm wondering that once you once you do have so many breweries there in the area, what what can they do to affect the community? You, you mentioned earlier that you you got a, a loan from the city of Denver when you're opening up a Wincoop that um, you know is an economic economic development loan. So clearly the city local government sees a purpose in opening something like a brewery. But well, I think that uh, well, I'll tell you from two sides. Um, I mean, I think craft brewing. I think making things by hand, right? Craft manufacturing of all different varieties is essentially a job creator and, and can be a key part of, of, a, of an economic revival. And certainly in brewing, when you have, you know, let's say you've got in Colorado now, let, let's just say 400 breweries, and let's say on the average, uh, I mean, the last number I saw, I'm not even sure what the average is, but if you include the distributors and you include the retailers, you're talking about twelve or fourteen thousand jobs just from that one that one industry, and I think and these days are you know most of them. I mean, it's hard to get any brewer to come and who knows what they're doing, uh, who's going to come to work for less than you know forty thousand dollars a year. Uh, some of the small places when they first start out, they they maybe pay a little less than that, but they're pretty good paying jobs. So they give back to the community just in terms of the economy, but they're also uh, craft breweries, again and again, you see them at the cutting edge of community involvement. And I like to say that we helped start that, at least in Colorado, because we got asked to, to support charities all the time. We kept saying, well, we're, we're pretty small little business. We can't, we don't have a whole foundation to give things away. And we spent a couple of years trying to figure out what is the thing we can do where each, each nonprofit, each charity that comes and asks for help that we can say yes to all of them. And the one thing was that, you know, once you've got your brewing system up, we could, we could produce a keg of beer for under 20 bucks. And so we said, all right, we can give everybody a keg of beer. And if you sell that keg of beer, if they go out and have a fundraiser and they sell it for, you know, three bucks for a 10 ounce glass, uh, you end up raising over 700 bucks out of that keg of beer. Hmm. So that was something we felt that we could do for, for every charity, and we had we had a couple of years where we would give away, you know, 400, 500 kegs of beer. You know, it became yeah. pretty popular in the nonprofit community. Which, again, people go to the charity and they see Wincoop beer, and they're you know they're all about wow, how did they get Wincoop beer here? That's great, you know, it's, it's spectacular. What what a good company they must be to be donating beer to this charity. I mean, you you all have New Belgium there in, in Colorado, and just I mean from a community uh, impact i mean they're they're one of the leaders yeah kim, kim jordan has created a culture there i always tease her that that she was her brewery isn't quite as old as the wine coop <laughs> um 
but you know she was the uh, 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 she was the chair when I was the chair of the Association of Brewers and she was the chair of the uh, whatever the BAA was the Brewers Association of America um, and the two of us while we were both chairs engineered the merger to create that one you know one combined integrated uh, support organization for all craft brewing and in doing that, we got to know each other really well. And one of the things that distinguishes Kim from, from many other small businesses, and obviously she's more of almost a large business now, is that she felt that everything they do should be improving the economy uh, and improving the world. So she was trying to create as many jobs as she could. She was really focused on you know, being as green. I mean, she was one of the first craft breweries to say, All right, we're not going to use any electricity generated from the the combustion of coal or or you know uh, coal or oil, mm-hmm. and I think that by having by by taking that leadership role and you know reutilizing uh, any lost heat in the processes, you know the uh, all the different ways they are conservation minded, they become a symbol for the rest of the business community. And I think New Belgium really has stepped up and, and become one of the most admired craft breweries in the country. And as such, so many other breweries start following their lead. And then all of a sudden we're, we're all kind of helping out the communities uh, wherever we are. Um, exactly. It's, it's become, it's become part of the identity, mm-hmm. part of the brand of craft brewing itself. So going, going over to some regulatory things, um, there is a, a new law in Colorado, um, or at least starting in, in January of 2019, beer will start being sold uh, in, in grocery stores or rather, you know, higher ABV beer. Um, what, is, what does this mean for, you know, more independently owned liquor stores and, and uh, breweries? Well, we'll see. Um, certainly the, the competition will be much more significant. Uh, that being said, you know, there's a, there's a lot of discussion about whether overall it might drive a growth in, in sales to, to compensate and that maybe there won't be that many of the small retailers that fail. And we did try to, you know, when that, when the general assembly was <clears throat> creating that legislation, they did try to protect, uh, the smaller breweries and, uh, I mean, the smaller retail, uh, uh, retail stores so that they wouldn't, you know, the, the big super, supermarkets that were now for the first time getting into the beer business, uh, they had to be a certain distance away from that liquor store, or they had to buy the you know buy the liquor store out, uh, so it allowed uh, liquidity to a certain extent. So you know, let's let's say the Trump administration made you czar of beer, you know, starting in, in January 2019 after you uh, leave uh, your current position. So you're czar of beer, and you can change anything that you want in in the industry and as far as regulatory stuff goes. Would you? I mean, is is the three-tier system uh, working, or does it need to be changed? Well, you get into the the details of it, and and obviously there are always things you can do to improve it. Uh, You know, I look more at the the big picture, and and again, it's such a great job creator. Um, I think it's such a... If you look at smaller cities and towns that are trying to reinvent themselves, the, the ones that are succeeding almost always have a brew pub close, close at hand. Uh, there's a book that came out uh, six months ago called Our Towns, O-U-R, Our Towns. And it describes at the end when it's kind of something, they go and look at, uh, the couple that wrote the book, look at dozens and dozens and dozens of 
small cities that had been really struggling and were, you know, succeeding over the last 20 years. They'd kind of turned around their economy, turned around their situation. Every time, it seemed, there was a there was a brew pub involved, or at least almost every single time. So I think they really are a benefit to communities. And, you know, one thing I look at is why are they paying – why don't they get a bigger, uh, a larger uh, – and make sure that we preserve the existing uh, – lower tax rate for craft breweries when you compare them to the really large breweries. And I know the large breweries, <laughs> they have their own opinion on this, mm-hmm. um, but but they don't create the same number of jobs as these little guys. You know, the, that book that you mentioned, Our Towns, uh, I remember first reading about that. I guess it's, it's James Fallows, right? Fallows, I think he, yeah. uh, he he's a writer for The Atlantic. Um, yeah, he's a, been a writer for the Atlantic for like yeah, 25 years. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, I've read an excerpt from that book, and what I read uh, I loved, and it's you just reminded me to put that on my, my Amazon wish list this year. Um, <laughs> it's a great book, Our Towns. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if, so if you look at other states that are kind of doing it right, were there during your time as governor of Colorado, were there states out there that you kind of tried to emulate? No, I think we were. I, I don't think we really emulated anybody in terms of beer and economic development. I think, you know, when I first I became mayor in 2003, uh, and we talked about beer, and we and we talked about entrepreneurs, about trying to make, you know, our vision for for Denver, and, and then when I got elected governor in 2010, our vision for for Colorado was to make. We wanted to be the most pro-business city and the most pro-business state but with the highest ethical standards, the highest environmental standards. Uh, and I think that's kind of the cutting edge of what cities and, and states should be doing all over the place. And I think that there's, you know, there's a, 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 a vitality in, in the craft movement, uh, craft beer, but all kinds of things that are kind of handmade. Uh, and I think it really is reinvigorating a lot of our local economies. I'll, I'll put it this way then. Do you have a favorite favorite state other than Colorado that's making good beer? Oh, sure. I mean, obviously, uh, Oregon, uh, Portland is one of the great beer towns of all time. I've had many. I've gone up there just for weekends to taste beer. (laughs) Uh, Same thing with Seattle and Washington. Uh, You know, the Pacific Northwest, again, four seasons. They, you know, even in the summer can get kind of chilly. San Francisco has become a, a great a great beer town as well. Uh, uh, Boston, it's amazing now how how the whole metropolitan Boston area has really kind of come alive mm-hmm. in beer. Uh, Philadelphia is a great, great beer city. Um, I think one of the best. There are a bunch of them, but I think Oregon is probably at the top of the list. Do you have any general thoughts on the quote-unquote um bubble burst of, of the craft beer industry. I mean, that, that's such a, that's a buzzword that's been thrown around for, for a while now, obviously, but um, we've just peaked, not peaked, but we've rather just reached 7,000 breweries in the United States. I'm wondering if there is going to be a breaking point of, of just how many people we can serve and, and uh, what breweries we can go to. Well, again, when I opened, uh, you know, when we first opened in, in, in 1988, uh, there were less than a hundred breweries, and I remember there was a kind of a bubble in the early '90s, uh, '92, '93, '94, where a whole bunch of brew pubs and microbreweries opened, and it got up towards it was approaching a thousand, and we just kept saying this bubble, it's done. It's like 800 breweries. There's no way they're going to stay in business, and 
you know, it's a craft. And, and it's funny, if you, look at, if you look at super premium beer, which is how you would, based on price, you'd, you'd differentiate it, we're now at about 18 or 20% of the total beer market, I think, in terms of dollars spent. You, you probably know better than I do, but I know it was getting up there. Um, and yet super premium coffee is 40%. So it, have we reached the, the limit? Probably not. I mean, there, there'll be a, a contraction. I think of it's like stair steps. You go up very steeply, and then there's a flat spot. Hmm. And then you go up steeply in a flat spot, maybe even a little decline. Uh, and certainly it's more competitive than I ever imagined it could be. But I think I've outgrown uh, predicting demise, predicting a, you know, a, a burst of the bubble or uh, a cataclysmic, cataclysmic contraction. Uh, I think – you know, I still try to go to new breweries and new brew pubs whenever I see them, and the energy and the enthusiasm and love of beer is still just as fresh there as it was you know, 30 years ago when we were starting the wine coop. Do you have a favorite beer style? I mean, it's it's a little chilly right now, so I imagine you might be drinking something a little bit darker, but just in general. Well, my favorite beer is always the local beer. <laughs> uh, as we used to put on our business cards, beer is food. I mean, it doesn't keep. Uh, I generally, again, like anybody, I, I drink more light beer in the summer, and I move more towards the darker beers. Uh, my late partner, Russell Scherer, who was, he won in, in 1985, he was a National Home Brewer of the Year. Uh, and he made one of the most wonderful porters. Uh, and so I've always had and still have a, a fondness when it's cold to, to go to a porter. Uh, you know, I like, I mean, I love Guinness. I love uh, a lot of the craft stouts. We had, we used to sell our, uh, we used to have a beer called Sagebrush Stout with just the faintest hint of a prairie bouquet. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, that's the. Uh, you're, you're still uh, selling it after all these years. <laughs> Yeah, more more <laughs> porters and stouts, but but I like a darker beer in the cold weather. That's all right. Um, won't keep you too much longer. I'm just curious. Your uh, your your two terms are are ending, and and you will um, be moving on from your current position uh, beginning next month, or actually, really in just a couple of weeks. Uh, what what's next for you? Are you going to be getting involved in any in any breweries or anything like that? No, I don't think so. We're trying to figure out. I mean, you know, I did eight eight years as mayor, just finishing eight eight years as governor. Uh, I'm the first governor, the first I am the first brewer to be elected governor since Sam Adams in 1791. <laughs> um, and but anyway, when, when I got elected, we were we were at, you know, we were uh, near the bottom. We were 40th in job creation, uh, and for the last two years, Colorado's had the number one economy in the country. And, and the more important thing is I think we've been able to bring people together in a way to resolve conflict and create compromises. We've been better at doing that than just about anywhere else in the state. So my wife and I are trying to figure out we might just go ahead and you know, run for president in 2020. <laughs> We're trying to make up our mind by March. A friend of mine, a friend of mine gave us a, a, a sample. He made up a bumper sticker that said, put a brewer in the White House. <laughs> um, <laughs> But we'll see. You know, we're trying to figure it out. Hopefully, by the, you know, the end of February, sometime in March, uh, we'll make a decision. And, you know, if we, if if we decide to to go that route, you know, the first primary states are Iowa and New Hampshire and Nevada and and South Carolina. And I think I'll be visiting a lot of breweries in those states. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> and you know, K- Kentucky doesn't matter that much, uh, but you should visit well, Kentucky well, as well. I love well. Kentucky. Kentucky's, <laughs> Kentucky's got some great breweries. Oh, yeah. No, it's, if you it's go cool. down to Louisville, 
it's 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 target rich. Yep, I agree. I, I live I live in Louisville, not Louisville. I live in Louisville, um, and it's Louisville. A- <laughs> absolutely, that's where my my sister in law is from. Louisville. Oh, great. Um, but well, hey, thank you so much for your time today. I also obviously wish you nothing but the best going forward, and and whatever you choose to do. Happy holidays, you know, Merry Christmas and, and Happy New Year. It's going to be a good couple of weeks. All the best.